Hello everyone, Krista and Hannah here with a brief message before we start the episode. We are on the third season of Keys to Music Learning and we have loved every second. Talking about audiation-based piano instruction is a passion of ours, if you couldn't tell, and we thank you for listening and keeping us going. We recently launched the Keys to Music Learning community. Similar to Patreon, this is a way to support the podcast and access bonuses, such as opportunities to attend podcast recordings and monthly meetings so you can pick our brains with your questions, share your successes, and connect with other teachers. Become a silent partner for only $3 a month or, to access the bonuses, a friend of the podcast for $5 a month. Join today at musiclearningacademy.com slash keys to music learning community. The link will be in our show notes. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Keys to Music Learning. I'm Hannah Mayo of Hannah Mayo Music. And I'm Krista Yadro of Music Learning Academy. Join us as we discuss common goals and challenges in the piano studio and offer research-based ideas and solutions to guide every one of your students to reach their full musical potential with audiation. We're back! Yay! Yay! (laughs) We are so excited to be back, and we have some outstanding episodes coming your way. So, Hannah, it's been a bit of a break. What have you been up to? Well, we started the book club and we had our first meeting. So I've been up to that. Yes. And and that was so much fun. Yes, it was. And I've been um, relaxing a little bit more and also having um, some piano camps where students come every day. Yeah. Instead of weekly. So we've been doing some really cool projects and it's very hot here in Lafayette, Louisiana, but we're making it. Krista, what about you? So we had a great family vacation to Martha's Vineyard, and my husband and I just celebrated 10 years of marriage, so we got to go away for a nice long weekend. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you so much. I wrapped up lessons with a few in-person classes in the beginning of June, which were so much fun. The students were so excited to be back together. And just finished an introductory virtual week-long workshop for Gimmel with Jenny Fisher, all about audiation-based piano instruction. And I want to say hello to all the amazing teachers we met through that workshop, if they're listening. Hello and welcome. So time to get down to business. In the previous series, we discussed the importance of informal guidance and keyboard games books A and B, which are the preparatory books of the Music Moves for Piano series. In this episode, Hannah is going to kick off our series on formal instruction by sharing some of her experiences transitioning students from informal guidance to formal instruction and discuss in very general terms what's in a Music Moves for Piano student book. And next week, Krista is going to define formal instruction and we'll have an episode also dedicated to books one through five of the Music Moves series. And then our very first podcast guest, the one and only Marilyn Whitelow, will be with us to discuss this awesome Music Moves method, which Krista and I both use and love, if you didn't already know. (laughs) And 
this is so exciting. I really can't wait to have her on the podcast. These episodes are not to be missed. So everyone, do you ever find yourself asking the questions, am I a good teacher? Am I a great teacher? Am I the best possible teacher I can possibly be, possibly? I thought that I was a great piano teacher before finding music learning theory and adopting music moves as my primary piano teaching method. And now with the hindsight I have, I know that I was a decent piano teacher, but I was not great. Why? Because I was more focused on the teaching rather than the learning. Have you heard that famous quote? Uh, I think it's attributed to Albert Einstein that says, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. That's how I have come to feel about music teaching. I had this realization that helped me see one of the biggest differences in my teaching back then and my teaching now. There's something I could not do before that I can do now thanks to Edwin Gordon and the music learning sequence and thanks to Marilyn Lowe and the way she braids that music learning sequence into a piano method. I feel pretty confident in saying that I could teach piano lessons with nothing but my own self and a piano and at least one student, of course, meaning if I absolutely had to, I could teach an entire lesson and continue to teach many more lessons for a while without any books, any printed materials or physical objects other than my own body and the piano. If I absolutely had to, I'm not saying that's how I would choose to do it. Gosh, no, I love my puppets and my scarves, but I, in a pinch, I could make it work. And why do I feel confident saying this? Because of MLT and music moves and how they taught me to do that. Five years ago, I could not have started a new student in lessons without books, lots of books, gobs of books. Do you feel that way as a piano teacher? So many books. I relied heavily on physical materials to get me through a piano lesson. And now I rely on my voice to sing and chant. I rely on my understanding of the learning sequence to build rhythm and tonal pattern vocabulary, which is kind of priority number one. I rely on the strength of my ever-developing audiation skills, which have allowed me to memorize, and I was a bad memorizer before, but memorize plenty of rote solos and folk songs and popular tunes with relative ease. And I can use that for student repertoire if I had to. I rely on the general culture of creativity that Music Moves has instilled in me to create arrangements and medleys and mashups, improvisations and compositions, and to guide my students in doing the same. And of course, I rely on the Music Moves books themselves. But if for some reason I was thrown into a situation where I had to teach piano with no materials other than the piano, I would say challenge accepted. And I would lean on what I have learned from studying and applying music learning theory and the music moves for piano method. This music moves series isn't just a great method. It's an education in the art of piano pedagogy. And music learning theory isn't just a great theory. It's an education in what to do and when, musically speaking. And that powerful combination is what has been so life-changing for me as a piano teacher. 
That's so true, Hannah. And approaching audiation-based piano instruction through both avenues, knowing music learning theory, along with using the music moves for piano method, it's just extremely important. Yes, absolutely. So formal instruction. <laughs> Remember that learning is a spiral pathway, not a linear one. <laughs> it's not that informal guidance suddenly stops and formal instruction begins. Informal and formal learning continue to spin around the learning pathway with a new skill or a new family of rhythm patterns or a new musical style or any musical concept you are introduced to in your musical life. You ideally start as an informal learner with lots of listening and absorbing, and you spiral through the learning sequence, engaging more and more with that musical concept, and it becomes gelled into your audiation. The more you do with it, the deeper your understanding becomes. It's been so fascinating to watch students graduate from keyboard games to book one. For most of them, I have observed some really wonderful things that, frankly, they make my life easier. And the <laughs> here are some examples. The ones that are comfortable reading out loud are so delighted to get to read the instructions for the Exploration Creativity Improvisation Projects. This is another factor when thinking about the difference between informal guidance and formal instruction in your piano lessons. Are they ready to read and follow printed instructions? So they read, I will reiterate and demonstrate, they will try it and then check it off. And they look so empowered by the whole thing. They look like such independent students. They are doing it, not me. I'm just there to clarify instructions with demonstration and say things like, yes, okay, check, next. For those that have had excellent informal guidance, this transition usually happens very naturally. They know me, they know the songs, they sing, they chant, they move with relative ease. They have a budding pattern vocabulary that they are now continuing to use in a more formal way. They don't have inhibitions about creative music making and they smoothly sail right into book one, in my experience. They already understand the keyboard map notations, so I don't have to say too much about it, except that now we sometimes have the circle and the square to indicate moving hand and not moving hand. They basically teach themselves the performance pieces from the early units after they listen a couple of times. They might not get it exactly right the first time, but the really beautiful part is that they are so eager to get in there and start figuring it out. They know what they are hearing when they listen and how they can look at that keyboard map and the hands and make connections about what to play. Sometimes they even ask me specifically not to play it first because they think they already got it. It's really terrific. <laughs> and that's so true. And actually on my YouTube channel, I have an informal video of Lucy listening to Popcorn, which is the first piece of book one after she went through Keyboard Games A and most of Keyboard Games B. And, you know, we're listening to it. And then she's just like, yeah, can I go play it? <laughs> and she goes just by looking at the page because she's already so familiar with what she's seeing. She has familiar familiarity already with what she's hearing, the sounds that she's hearing. And she's able to follow that and go and play it. And she's not the first student that I've had. And it sounds like you too, Hannah. Oh, yeah. That has I been mean, able to do that. 
I've had multiple students, as soon as they figure out what's happening in those first four pieces and they understand mm-hmm. it's the same rhythm pattern, it's the same coordination of the hands, but sometimes the right hand goes first or sometimes the left hand, but this one's up high and this one's down low, but they're all kind of in the same family of pieces. That is a, the light bulb moment that I am just waiting for in a yeah. book one student. <laughs> and when I see it, I get so excited because I know it's working. Yes, absolutely. And now for those older students who may be starting in book one with fewer informal guidance experiences, or they might be supplementing keyboard games pieces as warmups, they sometimes need more reinforcement of that instruction and demonstration and reminders. But remember, they are often in a hybrid lesson of sorts um, of informal and formal instruction. Okay, ready, everybody? Lean in. I'm going to tell you one of my book one secrets. In book one, there are four very important songs. These are the only songs we sing with words, and they help students remember the meaning of duple meter, triple meter, major tonality, and minor tonality. I start singing these songs during informal guidance, actually. And I continue singing these songs unceasingly to my students for the rest of their lives. I use these songs to set up context, which is king, if you know that saying. (laughs) If a student is about to echo duple patterns, I sing the duple song. If a student is about to label tonic and dominant patterns in major tonality, I'm going to sing the major song. If a student is about to hear triple division elongation patterns for the first time, I sing the triple song. If a student is about to learn a new minor melodic cadence or review an already learned minor cadence, I sing the minor song. I am relentless with those four songs. If a student reads an instruction that says, for example, chant a four macrobeat triple meter rhythm pattern. I will immediately, without hesitation, start singing, Triple now feel as we're moving in three. Why? Two reasons. Number one, it's the most efficient and the most enjoyable way to remind them of that particular context. Number two, my students will come up knowing the importance of context. Believe you me. And I'm not sure if you're more passionate about this or middle finger playing. (laughs) There are so many aspects of teaching this way that ignite passionate responses because they are exciting and they work so beautifully. And I'm sure we could talk about context and content forever. Um, And we really should, Hannah. We should discuss this in a future episode. It might be the next key to music learning. Oh, yes. All right. So now let's talk a little more about what a Music Moves book is. And remember, there will be an episode that gets more specifically into the content of books one through five. But for now, this is a general overview. These books are a well-balanced music curriculum designed to teach music learning processes. Then we take those processes out into the real musical world and use them to learn and arrange repertoire and tunes, to improvise and to compose, etc. We don't teach the book like a traditional turn page method. There is so much teaching and learning that goes on in a lesson that is not printed on the pages of the student books. And this is where the teacher guide really comes in handy and also the Music Learning Academy Book One course. 
Each unit contains a balance of four fundamental items. One is activity time, which now includes pattern instruction. Two, keyboard geography and technique. Three, exploration, creativity, and improvisation. And then four, performance pieces. There is a fifth category, technically speaking, that's not in the book, but is very much a part of the learning process. As students are ready, they supplement wrote solos from the Music Move series or elsewhere and any other creative performance projects that you think of. And you might recognize some of these categories of activities from informal guidance, right? So informal guidance, we did have an activity time. We did do creative activities and keyboard pieces. Now they're just going to be more formal. And we're also going to more formally include keyboard geography and technique activities. And Hannah's going to describe that right now. Yes. First, let's start with activity time away from the piano, where moving, singing, and chanting definitely still happen, much like in informal guidance, but with some additions. For example, you sing a song a couple of times and invite the students to move with you. You echo patterns. And then maybe on the third or fourth repetition of the song, you will have students listen for a particular tonal pattern and count how many times they think they heard that pattern in the song. And that listening activity is considered a quote unquote formal activity because you are asking the student to do something specific, to respond in a specific way or answer specific questions about what they hear. Then keyboard geography and technique, where students continue to learn the keyboard layout and practice good technique, like the correct ways to play a key or a repeated note, how to use the finger forearm hand unit, how to play adjacent fingers, and so on. Another thing I do when I transition a student from keyboard games to book one is a heightened focus on technique. I've become much more of a stickler about techniques since I started using music moves, not in an annoying way, I like to think, but I give a lot more gentle reminders and sometimes even subliminal messages about good technique, especially when we start to use multiple fingers, particularly the thumb. Mm -hmm. And activities to promote good technique are written right into the lesson plans, starting with the very first lesson of book one. Body awareness, good posture, how to release tension, and use your body to approach the keyboard in a way to prevent injury as the student progresses. The techniques learned are then carried over to other activities and also reinforced in the performance pieces included in the books. Right. And technique is also reinforced in the performance piece preparation activities in the teaching yes. book. Yes. Yes. It's so brilliantly all just woven together. Jeez, how'd she do it? I have no idea. Ooh, we'll find out soon, though. (laughs) Okay, back on track. Next is exploration, creativity, improvisation. Every unit has an improvisation project page that engages creativity and develops improvisational skills. And this might be my number one favorite thing about the Music Moves series. This is what I think sets the method apart from others. These projects are sequenced along with the context and content the students are learning. We've been throwing around Marilyn Lowe's quote a lot lately. Improvisation cements music learning. And it's true. These projects help cement learning by offering a thoughtfully sequenced step-by-step guide 
to using the pattern vocabulary to improvise. Some of the most fun my students have starts with these exploration, creativity, improvisation projects, especially when they get into book two and they really get on a roll and start using the pedal more. Oh, they Mm -hmm. it's great. And finally, the performance pieces where students gain a practice procedure for their repertoire. The performance pieces begin much like keyboard games and then move on to familiar and new melodies, adding accompaniment, changing the keyality or the tonality or the meter, and so on. The performance piece checklist evolves over the series of books, getting more and more detailed as students gain more and more audiation and keyboard skills. Performance pieces also include supplemental solos and tunes where students can take those checklists from the book and apply it to their rote solos and expanding repertoire outside of the books. And in an upcoming episode, we'll be digging a little deeper into each book, so stay tuned for that. And finally, remember that the intent of Music Moves is not only to teach piano students audiation skills, it is to give them what they need to play our endless piano repertoire. I had a revelation just the other day, in fact. I've been playing quite a bit of early advanced piano repertoire just for fun because it's summer and I can. And there have been numerous times where I'm playing something and I'll think to myself, hey, the coordination in this is just like the bumblebee from book one. Or an entire phrase of music might sound like a sequence based on a musical idea from the piece Ping Pong from book two. And I'm, I'm using specific examples that I've had revelations about. And the things that these students are learning to do with their hands, fingers, and forearms are the foundation for advanced piano playing. And there is only one method I've ever used that improved not just my students, but also improved me as a musician and player. And we all know by now, probably, that that method is music moves for piano. Mm -hmm. And my audiation and musical skills continue to grow because of music moves for piano. It's really exciting, actually. And there is so much more that I can learn that I know I can learn because I know how I can learn it. (laughs) So thank you. Right? So thank you, Hannah, for setting the stage for formal instruction. This is a really important series, and I look forward to taking a bit of a deeper dive into formal instruction next week. And I'm just so excited to be back in podcast world. Yes, absolutely. I want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners, and we will see you soon.